Well, it's good to be with you this morning. It is the first time I've spoken in Scotland, but I have been here a few times before in Kevin's time and in Simon's time. I think we, Bren and I both came to see Heidi Baker. So is that a long time ago? It is, isn't it? 14 years ago. That is a long time, isn't it? It is. Wow. Well, it's good to be back and it looks fantastic here. I appreciated the drinks machine this morning and the, the service and the welcome. It's lovely. Um, you know, I am on the NLT, but I also still lead Nantwich Elim Church. And I've been leading there for the best part of 20 years now. In 2011, I became the senior leader. And um, my heart really is for the local, the local church. Um, that is who we are. Elim. You know, we're a, a network or a family of local churches and, um, and, and pioneers as well, because we pioneer, of course, into other areas. This morning, I want to give you a gentle challenge um, and some permissioning. That's, that's where we're going. But um, my heart is for community, and um, I see our church in Nantwich as a, a community of believers um, that get to influence the wider community. And um, our mission over the last, particularly since the college moved, you know, I, you may remember the Bible College. Did anyone come to Nantwich in the time of the Bible College? Yeah, lots of you. So, so actually, we still have about half of that land um, there. And um, we still have a strong, well, we have a stronger church there. And uh, we also have a community of about 2,000 to 3,000 people passing through our four to five acres each week to come to the 45 businesses that we have on site to use our conference facilities and community facilities and to be part of our church activities. So there's still quite a lot going on there. And so my heart this morning is to encourage us all because, you know, back in um, 2009, we lost 80 people when the college moved. You know, 80 people. We lost um, congregants. We lost leaders. And we lost a massive amount in the offering as well. But, you know, today we're bigger than we were in those days as a church. And our influence in the community is much stronger. And... Um, so I just want to encourage you. Sometimes we have to have a bit of cutting back and a bit of pruning and a bit of change before we can grow again. So if that's you right now, if you're in that season where people are disappearing um, or you feel a bit cut back after the COVID and through the changes that your church and community has gone through, do not despair because God has plans for you. He's always growing his church. It's just that church growth isn't linear. Yeah, sometimes it's staggered. So I just want to encourage you. Didn't plan to say that, so I just believe that's for somebody here. I also um, would say, you know, I, James and I have been at NLT this week. I mean, I don't know, two words, James, to summarize NLT this week. Really wonderful. James, you are such a... <laughs> The word escapes me. <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes leadership's quite weighty, isn't it? It's quite weighty. And I wonder if there's a lot of us in the room who would be feeling like this is a season where we're really carrying the weight of the church. Does anyone feel that? 
you know, there are seasons where things are just flying and there are other seasons where actually we're carrying a load. And uh, I've been reflecting on that a lot. In fact, so much yesterday after NLT, I was in our chapel early and I didn't come out till 11. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, sometimes you come out of uh, church meetings and church life and there's a load that you're carrying and uh, really what the Lord showed me is yeah there are those times when you you take that load to the cross and you lay it at the feet of Jesus and we tell people that a lot don't we but there are also those times when you are called like Simon the Cyrene to carry the cross for Jesus, to carry the burden for him. And I think some of us in the room um, would be doing that in this season. And I just want to encourage you, just think about that for a moment, the privilege of carrying the burden for Jesus. And just think about the powerful things he's going to do when you're able to set that cross down. So I want to pray this morning, if any of us have got any burdens that we've come in, any heavy loads, that we're going to be able to just set them down for a moment and allow the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, to empower us. We think about our Old Testaments, and the Spirit of God is moving right from the very first words hovering, brooding, transforming over creation. And as we were worshipping this morning, there's that sense of the Spirit of God, the Ruach, Elohim, hovering, brooding, transforming over this room, over each one of us. And a sense of the breath and the wind of God stirring amongst us moving us, being ready to transform us this morning as we meet with God. And that same spirit that moved over the whole of creation and moved through the pages of our Bible is still moving today in us and in our communities, doing beautiful things, enabling us to love one another, to be good to one another, to be faithful to one another, to have hope even in despair, perseverance in struggle. Father, I come before you knowing that your spirit is moving. Your spirit is present here. Ruach, breath of God, Elohim. We ask for each one of us, our families, our churches, all we hold dear this morning, that they would know your brooding, hovering, transforming spirit is at work, strengthening, building up, encouraging, empowering, releasing, your blessing. So as we sit here, enable us to rest and just set aside that which you've called us to carry in this season. That we can be strengthened and challenged and permissioned 
in the things that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. Well, I'm going to ask you just to open your Bible or your mobile phone at um, John 2. And we're just going to look into a passage you'll be really familiar with this morning on the wedding at Cana. I'll read it through for us. Um, and then we'll, we'll just reflect a bit on Scripture and see what God's got to, to say. As we come to this, you know, I'm just reminded how important community is. So as we come to this word, we're thinking of the first miracle that Jesus is doing in John's gospel. And he's doing it outside of the church in community. The truth is we're in church on this Saturday morning, but all over this land there are other communities meeting and gathering together, having a coffee and probably a bacon bap, but not heading into scripture, doing whatever they do. You know, my husband and my son, Dom, they're part of a community. Um, it's, a, it's either known as the RC community or to me, the toy car community. My son's in America right now in Arizona racing cars. That sounds very grand until you hear they're this size. But, you know, there's, I don't know how many, Bren, do you know how many guys and girls are there? There's 150 there racing for this world championship. And if you go spend time in this community, there's lots of similarities to church. You know, we were in uh, Spain a couple of weeks ago. My son was racing there uh, in these European championships. And, again, there's 150 to 200 people there. And uh, they're, they're, gosh, they're passionate, just like we're passionate, you know. Um, they're there ready to race like at seven in the morning, yeah. Having gone up, got their cars ready and, and, and laid them all out. They're there ready early to race. They're filled with passion. And they're committed. These people are, are doing this weekend after weekend and through the week. They're maintaining their cars and, and learning from one another. This morning, Bren's getting a text through from a father who says, we're just off to Italy to race these cars. Um, can you tell us the best setup for this car? What should I do for my son? You know, they're, they're a learning community like we're a learning community. And like they're serving as well. I mean, I was shocked in Spain when I had this realization because I don't know about you, but I have quite a number of people come into our two services on a Sunday morning, but not all of them are serving. In the RC community, everyone who races has to serve by marshalling in the following races. Every one of them, from the weakest contender to the winners. To the, to the professionals, to the amateurs, every one of them serves. And um, they have friendships that transcend the racing, you know, spills over into just like church. There are communities like that meeting all across our land. And each one of those communities needs someone to go into them and witness because what they don't have, what they don't have is Jesus. Sometimes I wonder 
I've spent years of not being at the races because I'm in church. And sometimes I wonder if Jesus might have said to me, Michelle, do you know the odd Sunday? You could go. Go take me into that. But, you know, he has already got Bren there leading remembrance services and, and praying sometimes for folks who come and ask for prayer. But there's something, isn't there, about the way we do church and the way we do mission that means we'd never miss a Sunday. And I suppose what I want to talk to us about this morning is like, as we come to these words, is, is there stuff in our tradition that is making void the transforming power of God? Yeah. So we'll just leave that hanging. And we'll go to the word. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. Okay, so that's a passage we're all very familiar with. I'm sure we've probably preached on it many, many times. So I probably don't need to go too much into the cultural context. Probably don't need to um, break down every word for you. But here we have a wedding going on, and it's probably going to go on many days, maybe three to seven days. And it seems like um, there's probably a lot of people present because the wine has gone. And... Uh, for the wine to have run out, we know, we understand, it would bring shame upon the hosts, the bridegroom particularly, that the wine had run out and the hospitality was coming to an end. And um, we have this scene, don't we, where Jesus is there with his mother. Jesus is there with his new disciples and um, they're there to enjoy the wedding. Now, we don't get the sense that he's the center of attention at all. That's not what's going on. He's there as a guest. 
And Mary then notices um, that the wine has gone and speaks with him. And of course, we have these words. And of course, if we turn to our commentaries, there's lots of explanations of these words. Some might even say that Jesus was being a little bit firm with his mother. But you know, um, we've got this sense of his mother sort of imploring Jesus to act because she knows he has the power to transform the situation. And it occurs to me that quite often we play that role in people's lives. You know, I can think of many times when I've seen a need in someone's life. I've seen it or I've heard it, and you will too. Every week in church life, people will be bringing their needs to you. And you will be listening and hearing. And then sometimes you will be seeing stuff that they're perhaps too ashamed to speak or perhaps too reserved to share. But you will see and you will hear and you will go to prayer to ask Jesus to act and transform. What moves Mary, I think, in this passage is the same of what moves Jesus through the pages of our New Testament, and that is a compassion for other human beings, a compassion for women, men, and children in community. And it's that that she brings before Jesus. Now, we know we sort of get the impression that, you know, this isn't my time. I'm here to enjoy the wedding like you. (laughs) Have you ever felt like that (laughs) in the midst of a social setting? It's like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to do grace. Let somebody else do grace. Just because I'm a pastor, (laughs) it doesn't have to be me who says grace. Yeah. Yeah, I think we've all been in that situation where we perhaps are stepping backwards as people are coming towards us because we know they're coming with a request, yeah? And that's what we sort of see, this humility, oh, it's it's not my time. And there Mary just moves in with a bit of perseverance and just says, you know, to the servants, just do whatever he tells you because she's confident that he will speak. And when he speaks, if we obey, stuff changes, yeah? So we have those, those servants in this situation. And, um, and there they are. You know, I don't know. They're there. They're running out of wine. They want a solution. Um, we're not sure how familiar they are with Jesus, but we know this is his first miracle, so they're probably not expecting anything miraculous to happen in his response. I wonder, as Mary says to them, do whatever um, he tells you, whether they're thinking, oh gosh, he's going to send us a few miles down the road to go collect something, you know? Well, of course they do go and collect something. They refresh the pots with water. That's what Jesus tells them to do. But in that, they're obedient, aren't they? And I just question myself sometimes, and I say, when I'm stood in church on a Sunday morning, I might be preaching, I might be doing what James did, I might get the notices and the rest of the team do the heavy lifting perhaps. But um, I just wonder how obedient I am as a servant of Jesus. And when I think about that, I think back to, I think it was 2015, 
being in a service one weekend and the spirit whispering in my ear, Michelle, go tell those who speak in tongues to stand at the back of the church. Have you ever been told to go stand at the back of the church if you speak in tongues? No. <laughs> and, and when Jesus was sort of whispering this to me through the spirit, I was thinking, that's strange. I'm not sure. Because every time I talk about tongues around here, I get a little backlash. I get some resistance. Because most of my church, they, they either come from the Catholics, the Anglicans, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, and find their way in. So that was the first week. The second week, I'm back there. It's like, Michelle, go send those who speak in tongues to the back of the church. Oh. <laughs> you shouldn't say no twice to the Spirit, should you? No. No. So I did exactly that. I said, you know, I know this is a really strange request. I know this is a peculiar thing to do. But if you speak in tongues, you know, I'm really not wanting to make you feel different or anybody else feel that, you know, I went into all that sort of apologetic stuff. Um, but I just feel you should go stand at the back of the church. And, and oh, by the way, when you get there, would you just start praying in tongues and praising God in tongues? And so actually this faithful bunch, about a third of the church, got up, went to the back of the chapel, and they stood there looking at me. Um, what next, holy God? <laughs> yeah. Is this it? Have I done it? <laughs> Just like, no, no, Michelle, you haven't. So there they are. They're, they're lifting their voices in tongues. And, and, and I feel the whisper again. It's like, now Michelle asked them to walk forward through the church. Okay then, okay. So they did that. And this is what happened. They got about two-thirds down the aisle of the church. And we're worshipping on the stage. We're singing majesty. And as they get to about two-thirds, I'm standing there and I'm thinking, what is that I'm hearing? And I start to realize above the congregation, something's happening up here in the chapel. I'm starting to hear this angelic choir. Now, what do you do then? <laughs> I'm thinking, I haven't done this before. This wasn't taught to me at Bible college. What do I do now? What does Kevin do? What does James do? Yeah. What do we do now? And so I look across at Paul Hampton, who is so gifted, playing away on the keyboard. He's the sort of worship leader you could look across and just say, can you play that for me? And he'd just transition, you know, from one to the other. Amazing. And I looked at him. I said, I think I can, I think I can hear angels. And he's going, yes, I can hear angels too. Isn't that amazing? So like two of us, it's like perhaps just because we're on the stage, we can hear angels. Yeah. I think, well, let's just throw it out there. This morning isn't going as I'd planned. So I threw it out there. I said, um, I don't know if any of you can, but um, 
I think I can hear angels. And the chapel just responded back, we too. The majority of people in the room could hear angels and we just carried on worshipping, knowing that the Lord was doing something wonderful and mysterious amongst us. Amazing, an amazing experience. But it came because in the end, after a bit of pushing, I obeyed. And actually not just me, then the congregation, those who spoke in tongues. And that day, you know, there were people who had resisted speaking in tongues, who understood, who received, who were blessed in that way. And we experienced this thing that now if it happened, of course, it would have been being streamed, but was just intimate really received by those in the room in those days. Now, I have to say to you, do I completely understand what God was doing? I don't think I do, even to this day. I know we received something, but I know I've not seen the fullness of it. And I think that's a bit like the chief steward, right? Because the chief steward, after they've gone away, filled the pots, and the water somehow has turned into wine, you know, they draw it and they take him some to taste. And he stands there and tastes it. And he must have had a, a, you know, a moment where he thought, this is strange. This tastes good. This wasn't what I was expecting. And then this guy, rather than being cynical and sort of, he just allows his awe and his wonder to overflow. And he blesses the bridegroom. He doesn't have to understand how it happened. He just lets the joy of the wine, symbolic of the spirit, overflow. I think we get to do that on Sundays. I think sometimes my cynicism gets in the way. I think probably you too. That moment where the new believer bounds up to you, overflowing and gushing with what God's done. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. What can I share? Or oh, maybe next week. Yeah? Yeah? We've all done that. But you know, when I want to be more like that steward who receives the wine of the Spirit, who receives the fruit of the miracle, and just overflows with awe and wonder. Yeah? Yeah, lets that flow out upon the people, upon the bridegroom, the hosts, that appreciation. You have saved the best till last. Now, we know that that's speaking to us about the kingdom. It's speaking to us about Jesus. We know there's this bigger eschatological thing going on. We know that. But, you know, I want to be like that chief steward. On those days when the new believer or someone comes up to me just before the service is about to start or just before I'm about to say a prayer and I want to allow the Spirit to use them to testify 
to Jesus' greatness. The groom, I love him, he just does receive, doesn't he? He doesn't protest and say, oh, it's nothing to do with me. <laughs> he doesn't protest. He just receives. The guests, they just get to enjoy, sort of ignorant, really, of the wonder that's going on in the room. But what we see here is the priesthood of all believers, don't we? We see that actually Jesus wants to collaborate with many people, not just one person, to see the kingdom come. That actually Jesus wants to move beyond the walls of the church in every community event. And I just wonder if in these days, um, some of our traditions, some of our ways of pastoring, some of our ways of even doing Sunday morning. And I don't want to stir up a lot of trouble for James. <laughs> but um, I wonder if some of our traditions are stopping the transforming power of Jesus in our communities. You see, because the more I think about the water into the wine thing, the more amazing I think that is. You know, if we stop and we think about the whole thing, well, I, you know, the God who creates this incredible world and universe and all that is can, of course, transform water into wine. We get that, don't we? But, you know, he does that in this moment, in these stone jars. He transforms that water into wine. A creative miracle. But then this wine is the best wine. And yet it's not had time to ferment, has it? Or prove, be proved. It just is the greatest wine. I wonder what we're missing out on because we're not seeing and hearing as Mary did. I wonder... I wonder what we're not learning because we've forgotten the novice heart of the disciples. That, that actually on those moments that he speaks, we perhaps actually whisper back, no, it's all right, I've got the program. I know what's happening next. In two minutes, we're going to do this song. Just go with it, Jesus. Spirit of God, just trust us. It'd be best if you move at this moment in my program. Yeah. Oh, it's uncomfortable, isn't it, to think about. But, but what if we're not as obedient as we think we are as church leaders? Yeah. In this, what might feel the small details of our services, I wonder if it's those very moments when we hear that whisper or we just see that opening or we feel something different happening in the spirit and we decide to continue as we were, that we miss the transforming miracle of God. That is scary, isn't it? So I don't know about you, I just am desperate for God to move. 
you know, we have people who are uh, going through cancer treatment and being healed. And there's that sense of God moving. But, you know, seven, I don't know, actually it's longer than that, eight, eight, nine years ago, we had a guy who was paralyzed from the neck down, walk again, who, who doctors actually, I was there when the doctor said, I'm going to intubate you and you will never walk again and you may live. Yeah. But under the unction of the Holy Spirit, I stood at that bed. And when the doctor left, I said, you will walk and you will live in the name and power of Jesus Christ. And that guy has walked and lived. Many people prayed, not just me. Many people prayed. But, you know, I wonder if I'm as open today. I wonder if I'm as obedient today. I wonder if I'm a bit too busy sometimes to notice. And I just think maybe in these days, the Holy Spirit is nicely and politely and gently saying to us this morning, think again, have you been pigeonholed in one of those roles? You see, I mean, maybe you're comfortable as people come into church, they whisper their woes and you pray for them. You're comfortable being Mary. Maybe you're a willing servant and most of the time you'll run back and forth and you'll do whatever is expected of you by your church. But when the spirit challenges that, you stick with what the church expects. See, I just wonder if we've gotten stuck in our traditions. If we perhaps look back and we say, oh, that's how the spirit moves. That's what, yes. Yes, that's, I see that clearly in scripture. I see that clearly in Elim tradition and I've experienced a bit of that myself. That's the way. And I wonder if we've limited the spirit of God. Ruach, Elohim, the breath of God that hovered over all creation and hovers over us right now. You sometimes I, I you know, in Nantwich we're 99.7% white as a community. But in our church, we have people from maybe 30 nations at the moment, and a lot of Nigerians and people coming in from South Africa because of persecution. Um Every person in our churches has a different expectation of us. And we've settled to pastor in a way that probably meets as many of those expectations as possible. And then, of course, there's James's expectations as a regional leader. There's the national leader's expectations. There's Elim. But what if, what if? Jesus is whispering something different to us in this season. Are we going to hear that? Yeah. Are we going to obey that? What if we're asked to step back and release others in our congregations to do the bits that we've become comfortable doing? What if God says to you this morning, stop preaching? 
stop preaching. Get however many from your congregation up Sunday after Sunday to preach. What if he says that to you? You love preaching. You love preparing the word. What if he says, no, no, I just want you to help others prepare the word. You don't get to stand there Sunday after Sunday now. I want you to stand others there. And you say to God, well, why is that? He said, well, because actually I want you to plant three new churches over the next five years. And you need preachers for those churches. So come on, equip them, raise them up, release them. But I'm sorry, you're going to have to do that from the wings. Are you ready for that? I wonder if we've gotten so used to being at the center of things and experiencing the reward of that, that we've lost sight of the fact that actually we're to equip others to lead church. And then we're to go pioneer something, break up some ground elsewhere to draw those newly emerged leaders into. I don't know, it's just a thought, just a thought this morning. I want to encourage you to feel the challenge of God. To recognize, you know, what rut have you got in? What pigeonhole have you been squeezed into? When I was um, at first at Nantwich, Alison Atkinson was there. And as she was leaving, she said to me, now don't let them put you in a box. I was thinking, does she mean a coffin? Does she? <laughs> what does she mean? <laughs> But, you know, there's truth in that, isn't there? You know, not only can other people put us in a box, but we can settle for a box as well. I just wonder if we might stand in this moment and actually, rather than me praying right now, why don't we just lift our voices in praise and prayer? If we speak in tongues, speak in tongues. But let's just stand and start to pray and, and ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us in response to this very gentle challenge. Uh, are our traditions around ministry, are the traditions and expectations of our churches limiting the transforming power of God in our churches, in our communities, and in our movement, and in this nation, and in the nations. Let's lift our voices.